I think one of, it's a wonderful thing that we both enjoy contemporary music and the great old hymns and that uh, enjoying the mix of today and yesterday in our worship. Thank you so much. Our scripture this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, and begins with the words, the word, finally. Now, you know what it's like when the preacher says, finally. <laughs> Does the preacher really mean it? <laughs> sometimes, but sometimes he goes on for a little while longer. He starts this passage. He says, finally. And then the rest of chapter 6 follows. We're actually not going to finish the book of Ephesians until the end of June in our study. It's so rich in these last remaining verses together. But listen to the Word of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So far the reading of God's Word. I brought uh, our friend from the middle school classroom. The middle schoolers have this up in their room. And uh, why do you suppose... This is there. What do you think? What does this suit of armor remind them every time they go into their classroom? It reminds us that we're in a battle. And it reminds us that we need the Lord for the spiritual trials that we go through. Now, some of you here today will be very encouraged by this passage and this sermon because you're going through trials, you're going through battles, you're going through a dark night of the soul, and you're going to be encouraged of how the Lord helps you through the trial and through the battle to be victorious. And others of you do not like this at all. Because you're sitting there and you're thinking, you know what, I came to Jesus because I want Jesus to make my life easy and happy. Isn't that what Jesus is all about? Make my life easy and happy? And unfortunately for you, that is not one of the choices. Because this text tells us, along with so many in the Bible, that we live in a spiritual battlefield. And we remember that other old great hymn, Onward Christian Soldiers, Marching as to War, with the cross of Jesus going on before. Christ, the royal master, leads against the foe. Forward into battle, see his banners go. So which will it be for you today? Are you here saying, I want out of here because all I want is an easy and happy life. That's what the suburbs promise. That's what David Brooks in his book, Bebo's in Paradise, about suburban America. It says, you move to the suburbs so that your life will be easy and happy. And it's an illusion. Because there are spiritual trials that we all face day in and day out. 
Who is your enemy? Well, this threefold assault the Bible teaches about the world and the flesh and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. You see, the flesh, my old man, keeps wanting to drag me back to my old life before I came to Christ. And the world keeps telling me, go back, go back, and live the way of the world. And the devil, well, his plan is just to make it all happen. Make no mistake. We are involved in spiritual warfare. The war had a beginning. It has a middle. And it will have an end. That's what the Bible teaches. And right now, Paul says, until Christ comes again, we are in action. We are in the theater of war, even today. Spiritual warfare. Who is your opponent? Who is your opponent? Well, he's described in the Bible with all these titles. He's called the adversary, the evil one, the accuser. Satan is his name, the god of this world, the serpent, the dragon, the murderer, the liar, the tempter. And who are his people? Well, that's interesting because the Bible lines people up with Satan, and they include false prophets, murderers, unbelievers, cowards, the sexually immoral, people who are dominated by the love of money, the love of pleasure, the love of self more than the love of God, and they fall into that side. The war begins where? Back in Genesis 3, remember when the serpent began the assault on paradise. And it advances through the rest of the Old Testament and through the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we are told in the Bible, Satan ruled the nations. And the people walked in darkness, in sin, and in death. The whole Old Testament is testimony to that. Who will the victor be? Will you see God's promise that there would be a Savior one day? There would be an, uh, a champion one day that would reverse the effects of the curse. Who will it be? And so the Old Testament is filled with stories of potential heroes that we would look to to bring salvation. We think of Noah. Noah, who was a man righteous in his day. But then he gets drunk and humiliates himself, and he dies. Why, there's Abraham, of course. Abraham, Father Abraham, the friend of God. And then Abraham compromises his wife's virtue, and eventually he dies. Why, then there's Jacob. Jacob is the one loved of God. And Jacob is a liar and a schemer. And so there's Samson. Samson with bulging muscles who can who can take on any enemy, and he becomes a fool for love, and he dies. And there's David, the man after God's own heart, the writer of the Psalms, the conqueror of the Philistines, and he becomes an adulterer and a murderer, and eventually he dies. There's Job. What about Job? Job, the man who turned away from evil more than any other man, and yet his pride is exposed, and he too dies. Who will the victor be? And then we learn that someone has come, the perfect man, the deliverer. Who is this king victorious in the spiritual war? Well, you know from reading your Bible, his name is Jesus. 
And Jesus comes, and Satan tempts him. Satan tries to do to Jesus in in the desert what he did with Eve in the garden, and Satan tempts Christ. And he brings, what? All the forces of hell, all the temptations of the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life against Jesus there as he's starving in the desert. And how does Jesus respond every time? He says, no, Satan, it is written... And Satan flees, and Christ lives a life of obedience. And in his life, and then his death, then his resurrection and his ascension, he breaks the stranglehold that the devil has on the human race. He brings light and life. And Jesus said in John 12, 31, if you don't know this, you need to know, Jesus announced before he went to the cross... Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world shall be cast out. Literally, he he shall be exorcised, exorcised. And the great cosmic exorcism occurs at the cross of Jesus Christ. And he says, Now the ruler of this world shall be cast out, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. And Christian, if you're a Christian... You believe in deliverance. You believe in deliverance. Colossians 1.13 says, For He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. And now we are freed, freed captives. That's what a Christian is, a freed captive. We were captives. Now we are free. And we are learning to love our King, and we are, lear- we are unlearning... We are unlearning all of the old ways that rise up in our flesh and in the old practices we used to have. And sin and death no longer have the last word in our life. Oh, the balance of power has shifted with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It has shifted. And now we wait. We wait for Him to come again. And we live in that time of tension between the first and second comings of Christ where there is a battle, there is a battle, and yet the victory is assured and is ours. And we have to learn, we have to learn how to live in victory in Christ, victory in Jesus. The battle, the battle, the battle. He says in this text, be strong in the Lord, be strong in the Lord, because you are at war and the battle affects you. It affects your personal life. It's interesting. Earlier in Ephesians, we didn't talk about this too much in Ephesians 4.25, where he says, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. And then what does he say? And do not give the devil an opportunity. He says that the devil is somehow able to get a foothold has an opportunity in your life when your emotions are not surrendered to the Lord. And the emotion of anger, uncontrolled anger, is unresolved in your soul, and you are in danger in the battle. Satan comes and takes advantage of sinful emotions. When Nina and I get into an argument, and it escalates, And it becomes a fight. 
and an icy cold comes between us. And we go to bed unresolved and unsettled. You see, she thinks the dishes should be rinsed before they go in the dishwasher. I think they're just going in the dishwasher where they will be rinsed. She thinks if you leave dishes in the dishwasher and you don't turn it on that night because it's not full yet, then the residue begins to stink. Of course you rinse them before you put them in the dishwasher. Who notices? Who notices? Escalation, escalation, frustration, anger, foothold for the devil. I don't know what your emotional vulnerability is, whether it's fear or anger or, or, uh, or what emo- but friends, don't, it's person, this is very personal stuff. And many Christians suffer because of a crippling emotional bondage. The battle affects your family. It's so interesting. In, in uh, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 5, Paul's talking about praying. He says, you know, you guys, you need to pray. And then in the middle of it, he says, and husbands and wives need to have sex, too. (laughs) He's talking about praying. And he says, and also, by the way, husbands and wives should not deprive each other of sex, lest Satan tempt you and you lose control. And Paul is saying that without an intimate relationship in the marriage... The devil is at war. He now comes and he plants seeds of immorality and destruction of the family. Whoa. So interesting. It's not just personally and emotionally. It's not just your family. The Bible says Satan has his digs at the church. He wants to destroy the church. And in 1 Timothy 4.1, he talks about how doctrines of demons can infiltrate the church. What's that all about? False prophets can rise up and they don't teach what's in the Bible. They just teach the ideas of men. And Jesus warned us. And the Apostle Paul warns us. Test, test. Make sure that what your preacher says comes from God's Word, is faithful to the Scriptures, because the ideas of men are plentiful. And what are they? Those behind them become entrenched doctrines of demons, he says, in the church. And it affects the culture in which you live. Entire nations, entire cultures, principalities and powers are under the influence of the diabolical schemes of the devil. And I, I, you know, I don't know too much about territorial kinds of things, but I think you have to be a fool not to see in certain regions, in certain cultures, there is a blindness and a hostility to the things of God. And we pray for the Christians in Iraq. Half the Christians of Iraq have fled Iraq since the liberation of Iraq. Christians were actually safer when Saddam Hussein governed in Iraq. Now, I am not in any way for Saddam Hussein. I think it was noble and good to try and establish democracy in Iraq. But one of the unintended consequences has been dreadful persecution of the church so that hundreds of thousands of Christians have had to flee for their lives. The, uh, the Catholic archbishop was murdered. The uh, pastors have been murdered or jailed. 
you go on. I, was, I remember in India, in the Himalaya mountains, in the city of Rishikesh, and I went with this uh, wonderful Christian psychiatrist. And he is a church planter. He left a lucrative medical practice in London to go live among the poor and plant churches in India. And I was there at his side encouraging him. And we, he, he said, I want to take you to see the bondage of this culture. And we went to this dreary city to one of the Hindu temples there seven stories high. And we made our way. There were three of us. And then this, this beggar was harassing us, so one of our parties stayed behind. And as we went up, there were men obviously on opiates, using opium, and they were drugged, and they were filthy. And you get up higher until we got to the final shrine of the, of the Shiva. And there, of course, that Shiva is what? It's a phallic symbol wrapped in a serpent. And Raju Abraham, this man I was with, was such a brilliant, brilliant man, reformed in his theology, Presbyterian, studied all of the same people I studied when I was in seminary, a godly man, knows his Bible inside out, Western, um, uh, amazing testimony of being an untouchable who got into college, went to medical school, became a famous uh, psychiatrist and neurosurgeon. Uh, neurologist, and now back in India, we walk up and we turn into this final shrine and we go in and Raju shrieks, for there is no Shiva. All that was there in this most holy shrine was this golden cobra serpent. That was it. And he shrieks, the devil! He had never been there. And we went, he was obviously rattled. I, I reminded him what Abraham Kuyper said. I said, Raju, there is not one square inch of this planet that is not under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And yet the Bible says in Ephesians 2, the devil still uh, uh, is the prince of the power of the air that is on this earth in cultures. There still is great blindness and great sway. And so there in India, it, it is to enforce the caste system and, uh, and, and the superstitions. There in Iraq and Iran, it is to stand against the lordship of Jesus Christ through militant Islam. What is it in America? What is it among us? What is it? Well, first of all, it's atheism. Atheism is rampant in the intelligentsia of western, uh, northeastern United States. A high commitment to atheism. And then what is another uh, principality of the power of the air? Why, it's nominal religion. It's just, it's, it's Jesus came to give me an easy and happy life and the ideas of men. What else is it? It's affluence. It's the promise that money is the solution to all your problems. What a promise. If you, if, it, it'll solve your problem if you can just get that extra $100,000 a year, Right? Right? <laughs> and it is like we are drugged. People are drugged by the promises of the harlot of Babylon. You see in the book of Revelation, there are two great enemies of the church. There's the beast, right? Remember the beast? And the beast is oppressive uh, oppression of the church. 
And don't tell me that there is no beast who will crush the church because you go to Iraq, you go to Iran, you go to Egypt, you go to Yemen and Sudan, and you see the Christians persecuted there by the beast. But then there is the harlot. And from afar, we are told she looks beautiful. But then you get close to her and there's blood dripping from her mouth, seducing the saints. Satan's job is to get us to ignore the spiritual realm or to just give it low value, to divert us from the importance of spiritual matters in our life. But Paul tells Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. He says, you know what? There's a good fight. It's the spiritual war that you're in. Fight the good fight of faith. When the middle schoolers walk into their room, they are reminded that the fight of faith is a good fight. And they're learning together how to fight that fight of faith. Be strong in the Lord. This is not a new idea. Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Notice that he does not say, finally, be strong. What if he just said, finally, be strong? What would that do to you? You know what it would do to me? It would crush me because I'm not strong and I'm not clever. I'm weak and I'm dull. If he just says, be strong. And that's what some fundamentalist Christians, we who believe the Bible, that's sometimes the message we give you. So just tough it out. Be strong. Hang in there. You can do it. Buck up, old chum. No. He says, be strong. What? Next three words. In the Lord. In the Lord. Christianity is not about who you are. Christianity is about whose you are. Does that make sense to you? Does that make sense to you? Be strong in the Lord. He says to Joshua, be strong in the Lord three times. Be strong in the Lord and, the, and in His mighty power. It's not about rules. It's not about niceness. It's not about trying harder. Jesus Christ says, come to me all you who are weary. Are you weary today? Are you going through some battles? I said, some of you know you're going through battles. You're glad to hear this passage today because the Lord will give you strength. He says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Literally, I will refresh you. And then in verse 11, he says, so put on the whole armor of God. And any soldier, anyone who's been in the military will tell you it's important to have the right gear. Right, Sean? It's important to have the right gear. And why were we Americans so upset during Operation Iraqi Freedom when those, those, those vehicles that our soldiers drove in did not have the proper armor? I was upset that these bombs, these IEDs, would go off and would kill our soldiers when all they, need, all they needed was just the right extra thick plate of, of, of iron or steel across the bottom. And once they were so fixed, so many more soldiers' lives were spared. Why is it important that our 
Our police officers have access to bulletproof vests when they go into difficult situations. That's a good thing. We should support our police officers having bulletproof vests because I don't want them going into harm's way without them. And here's what he says here. Put on the full armor of God. Now, we're going to spend most of June talking about this kind of spiritual warfare together. But you need to... Remember what some of us learned who went to see the screw tape letters last Saturday. We thoroughly enjoyed seeing that, uh, uh, that presentation. Uh, what he said, what, what, the, what the devil does is the devil on the one hand tries to get people to take him lightly. Oh, he's not a big deal. You know, the devil's no big deal. Or on the other hand, we, all we do is overthink about the devil and be so scared of him. What we need is the armor of God that deflects. What's the list here? We'll get to it in a couple of weeks. The belt of truth, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, your feet covered with the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Be covered, be covered by His armor. And then thirdly, he says in, in verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But our struggle is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And this is so important for us. Because who's our battle against? Husbands, who's your enemy? Your wife? Kids, who's your enemy? Your parents? You know, there were times, there were times with my children when we were getting into it, okay? And I would have to say, wait a minute. I get this feeling you think I'm your enemy. I'm not your enemy. I'm just, I just know there's a battle out there for your heart, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get you on the right side in the battle. You see? You're treating me like I'm your enemy. Anybody seen that Budweiser commercial, the little girl growing up, and she shows her daddy these two dolls, please, daddy, and he says, yes. And then she comes to him, and, and she holds up these two dresses, you know, daddy, could I have them both? He looks in his wallet. He says, yes. And she wants the bicycle, and... He says, yes, and then they're washing the dishes. She's grown up now, and she's probably 17, and, and she says, Daddy, Daddy, could you buy some alcohol for my party tomorrow night? Everyone will be here. You can have the keys. And he says, absolutely not. And she says, you never let me do anything. I hate you. And she runs off. You know, he rolls his eyes and smiles. But you see, what was happening in that commercial is that she was treating her father as if he was the enemy, when in fact, no, the battle is not against flesh and blood. And when Nina and I get into a fight about whether or not to rinse, rinse the dishes in the dishwasher, and we get angry, and who gets their way, and if nobody's really getting their way, and we're frosty, icy cold, who wins? Who wins? The principalities and powers 
win. The devil wins. Make no mistake. There's no human winner because our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers. Now, that's a term used, that's the King James translation, that's a term that's used eight times in the New Testament. Sometimes it refers to earthly rulers, and uh, certainly Pontius Pilate and Nero and Achmedinejad and, and uh, the, the, what's his name, the head of Sudan, and, and these people, they are arrayed against Christ as they were in 2,000 years ago, so there are rulers today. But also, also, it refers clearly other places to actually to heavenly, angelic, good angels, principalities and powers. In this passage, it's talking about those who set themselves up in opposition against Christ. And who wins the battle when Nina and I get into a fight and there's unresolved anger? The devil wins, and we have blown it. So there is apparently a well-organized... Uh, demonic system out there. The Bible, the verse 11 says, Satan has schemes. We are not unaware of his schemes. That's the screw tape letters that we saw last weekend. He says one of the biggest schemes of the devil, and I wish Ian was up here on the drums, one of the biggest enemies of the devil, uh, tools and schemes, is noise. So much noise in your life that keeps you from thinking about spiritual things, the things of God. So many distractions. It's very powerfully presented. We, everyone came away saying, wow. The other thing, the scheme of the devil that he pointed out, was that some men, and women too, they start thinking about spiritual things. Finally, you know, their friends witness to them. They, okay, okay, they finally start thinking about spiritual things. And they spend all morning, all morning thinking about, you know, I think this Jesus is on to something. I think I really do need Jesus. And so Screwtape is advising the junior tempter, giving him a scheme. And you know what uh, he tells him to do? He says, Remind him that it's lunchtime. You know, the guy finally spends all morning. He's finally willing. His heart is getting soft. His cold heart is getting warm. The Lord is attractive to him. Finally, at last, he's actually reading his Bible. He's never studied the Bible. Now the verses are coming alive to him. Just tell him it's lunchtime. And most men will give up right then and go eat lunch. He says, we're not unaware of the devil's schemes. We're going to be exploring these together again in the month of June. It's going to be a good, good study for us. 1 Peter 5.8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. In 1650-something, a man named Thomas Brooks great Puritan writer wrote a book entitled Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. And it is in that old, old uh, Puritan way where he just takes apart every spiritual dynamic, every temptation, every struggle, and, and writes about it so beautifully from Scripture. But he talks about uh, 
This one lady, I guess she was in his church, Mrs. Catherine Bretteridge. And he says, Mrs. Catherine Bretteridge once, after a great conflict with Satan, said to Satan, Reason not with me, I am but a weak person. If thou hast anything to say, say it to my Christ. He is my advocate, he is my strength, he is my redeemer, and he shall plead for me. Wow. When you're at that place, when you just don't know what to do, but you know the devil is hot and heavy after you, to ruin your emotions, or to ruin your family, or to ruin your culture, or to ruin your church, whatever it is, come to your senses and say with Mrs. Bretteridge, devil, reason not with me. Speak to my advocate. Speak to Jesus Christ. That's the first step. Mrs. Bretteridge taught Thomas Brooks. She teaches us all still today. That's what you must do. Be strong in the Lord. Be covered in the Lord. Be aware and alert to the devil's schemes. Atheism is all around you. Expose it for what it is. Sensualism is all around you, the lure of pleasure. It's in the air. The promise of money is everywhere around you. If only money will be your God, you will be happy. Finally, I was talking with our bookkeeper this week, Patrice Kern. Patrice works for Long Island Youth for Christ. She's led a missionary team, and she led a team of teenagers uh, to a mission in Israel and into the Arab section of Israel. And it was so interesting, she said, that as they took these young men and women, but especially the young women, that actually the men in that section there would grope at the women, would grope them. Uh, unashamedly. Why? These are infidels, you know, and so they would, they would just treat the women as these objects to be touched and fondled. And Patrice said, we, I was a chaperone, and I would just try and be alongside them, you know, to stand between the girls and the men as we walked through the bazaars and as we were going. And she said, I started to hate them. I started to hate them for the way they objectified and they used these, uh, in, in their minds, these teenage girls, and I hated them. And our team leader saw that in me. And he called us all. We went into a, into a hotel uh, lobby and he sat us down. And he said, something is happening here. He said, you are starting to hate the people we have come to love. She said, and then he quoted Ephesians 6.12. For our battle is not against flesh and blood. It is against principalities and powers. There, was, there is something in that culture that they're now, that in the present darkness had taken over that culture. And while they needed to protect the young women, it was wrong for these Christians to hate the very people they came to love and to minister to in the name of Jesus Christ. And she said, we were set free. And then there was a powerful evangelistic force in their life. Do you see what I'm talking about becoming aware of the devil's schemes, finding deliverance, and moving forward. So, where are you under fire today?
Where is the IED, the bomb that's going off near you? You need the armor of God, the covering of God. I don't know where it is in your life. Every one of us, every one of us is in danger, under assault. So wherever that is now, I invite you to bow your head and and come with me in prayer. And shall we, shall we resolve to fight the battle strong in the Lord, in the Lord, in the power of His might? Let us pray. Our Father, we ask You to cover us. Even the way Boaz covered Ruth, Lord, even the way Your Spirit covers uh, Israel in the Passover, we ask You, Lord Jesus, to come and cover us with Your armor. We pray, Lord, for people who are struggling emotionally. And we pray that the emotions that we have, the anger, the fear, even the hatreds, that, Lord Jesus, you would come and do a healing in us. You would teach us how to resolve anger and hostility in a way that honors you. We pray, our Father, for families, for marriages. We pray that we would not give the devil a foothold, that you would teach husbands and wives how to love each other intimately and to protect us as a church family, Lord, in our marriages. We pray for our church that you would keep us from the doctrines of demons, that we would be faithful to your word that has been given to us with authority. And we pray, our Father, that you would give us eyes to see the the present darkness of the prince of the air in our culture, and that, O Lord, uh, we would not be fooled, and we could stand. So let us go forward. Let us leave this place after after our fellowship. Let us leave as Christian soldiers with the cross of Jesus going on before us. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and finish with that.